It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. this week's episode of OC Office Hour, I go into the archives from year two of the podcast where we had former NFL coach Charlie Coiner join us each week to discuss some ideas that are relevant during the season, and we also added a guest each week. And so on this one, we have Jim Huber, who is an offensive line coach at the FBS level at several programs. This is one you're going to enjoy and I think is important here as you head into playoff time. So here's our OC Office Hour this week with Charlie Coiner and Jim Huber. We continue on with our series, The Game Plan, and joining me is my co-host, former NFL coach, Charlie Coiner. Charlie, always great to talk ball with you. Hey, Keith, great to be here. Getting in the playoff time here around the country right now. Yes, we are, and in the playoffs, it can be a game of inches, and we're going to talk about some of those inches today and how to put the ball in the end zone when it's tight, when you're down inside the one. The guy who's going to join us on the podcast is former offensive line coach at a number of great places, Jim Huber. Exactly, Keith. Coach Huber and I go back to 1987, University of Minnesota, and I've been fortunate to stay in touch with Coach over the years via phone. And it really, the thought came to me to, to give him a call just by watching really football over the past weekend. I'm sitting there watching the University of Georgia, who has a, a really good offensive line coach and a really good coordinator struggle seven straight cracks at the end zone from the one-yard line, and pass interference allowed them to get that, and, and they still came away with three points. I looked at them out there running third and short. Coordinator gets frustrated, runs a uh, jet sweep, gets loses four yards. I'm thinking, like, there's there's Jim Chaney, one of the best football coaches in the, in the country, struggling with this short yards goal line situation. And and then I a couple weeks ago, you're watching the Miami Dolphins drive the ball down against the Chicago Bears, and it's a one-inch line, and they decide they're going to run the read option. And sure enough, somebody came off the edge, hit the mesh, and the ball came out, and the Bears got the ball. It's hard at every level. And so to me, bringing on Coach Huber today to, to talk about this is significant just because Coach comes from a background to where you put time into it and – and really, you you dedicated a part of your game plan for this very situation. So this ought to be very interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to get him on here. Before we do that, let's just run down the, the places he's been. So he started his coaching career at University of Cincinnati, went on to a number of places. He was at Wichita State, Temple, Memphis, Minnesota, Wisconsin, was with the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL, and then he finished up his coaching career at Pitt. 
a heck of a, a rundown there of some programs, especially areas he's been there, really known for running the football and being power run teams. Exactly, and, and Coach Huber and that crowd went into Wisconsin when Wisconsin wasn't Wisconsin yet, meaning he was on that original staff of Barry Alvarez, and, and, and they instilled the toughness and things like that that, that his offensive lines were always known for. And uh, Coach was an offensive coordinator at a couple of those places too, and uh, really one of, the, one of the most respected minds on the offensive side of the ball that, uh, in his time as a coach. Well, I'm excited to talk to him. Let's get him on now. Coach Huber, it is great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. That's good to be with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Coach Huber, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has. We've talked on the phone, not much face-to-face, but good to hear your voice. <laughs> Coach, what, we, what we've been doing here throughout the fall is picking out situations, football, and, and trying to get into the X and O's of it a little bit. And this past week, you know, a lot of it comes off of these days, sometimes you're watching on the weekends and a topic will come up. And this past weekend, I was watching a lot of short yards goal line situations in college football, and it always comes up in the NFL. Looking at very, very few people actually get into big personnel on the goal line these days. But I saw some of it, saw some of it uh, in the Georgia game against Florida. It didn't work out very well for Georgia. But I also saw Georgia getting frustrated on third and one and going spread and trying to run the jet sweep. So the reason we wanted to get you on here, you came to mind, Coach, just because I know your background is, is – lining up and knocking people off the ball, power, and, and you're one of the elite offensive line coaches over the years at Wisconsin and Pittsburgh and a little bit of everywhere else. And I just wanted to pick your brain about when you get down on the goal line, is it your thought that these days people are abandoning that type of approach, bringing in bigger personnel on the goal line, or, or do you see where they're going with it? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is everybody's looking for an advantage without having to change personnel. I mean, it sticks out. It's like a sore thumb. I mean, every time you look at somebody, they're trying to play with wide receivers, get people out of the box, but then they don't have a solution to how to attack it in a running game because people are still going to cover your guards and make it hard to run. You can't get off tackle with no lead blocker. So people just have decided that run the jet sweep. I mean, you almost get appalled. I think the other day when we were talking, when you called, I told you, I'm looking at the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers has the bad knee. They can't run a sneak. They don't have a fullback on the team. They take the ball seven yards deep to the tailback out of one back situation and he gets hit for a safety. So they're limited by the personnel they've kept. They don't have a fullback on the roster. That one comes to mind right off the top of my head. But I think what you're saying is right. I I think people are worried about whether or not if they put those people in. Now, in the situations I was in, we always relished that. We sold it uh, as a mark of toughness. We sold that. We coached it. We spent time on it. And and I think that's what it is. Are you going to invest that time in those situations with other people? Are you going to try to fit your offense from goal line to goal line? And I can see I can see someone listening to this right now, particularly at the, in the high school game, saying that's exactly right. That's why we do it. We 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 don't have the time. We would like to stick with pretty much what we do. And 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 my counter to that would be a little bit of you can do that if the defense allows you to. And, and I see that sometimes in, in watching high school and college ball too, where the defense does not change up to dictate. They don't take advantage of the fact that you you don't have your edges protected, those type of things. But, I mean, to, to me, I look at people and I wonder, are you abandoning that bigger personnel too quickly because maybe you've got an extra offensive lineman or two 
that you can put in the game. Or maybe you do have a blocking tight end. I know they're harder to find these days than they were, but that, that was kind of where I, my mind went with it. Can, can you really protect your running game at all off the ed, off the edges if you don't? Not, not but when you don't first. when you don't have extra when you don't have extra people, you're you're going to struggle. You're, there's just no way they can always, if they're a halfway decent man team, they can always put one more guy in a situation to attack it. You know, the funny thing is when you were talking about it there when you started out, you know, they go, well, we just don't have the time. And my question always is why? Whatever happened to pre-practice, post-practice for taking center quarterback exchange, whatever happened to allocating time for certain areas? I mean, how many single times in a day can you run a jet sweep at practice and then turn around and say, I don't have enough time to invest it in something that could be the difference in the game? So, you know, I always, I, I listen, I hear that sometimes, and, and I'm not trying to be critical, but sometimes you go back and say, what are you spending your time on? Coach, exactly. I, Coach, I, I would agree with that 100%, and I've seen it really over the years. There was a time period, especially when you're, co- I was a, a small college coach and recruiting at the small college level, and honestly, all the good tight ends and fullbacks, by the time we were able to get to those guys, were really gone, and the athletic ones mostly played bigger guys that mostly played on the defensive side of the ball or offensive line in high school because their high schools weren't using fullbacks and tight ends anymore. And we've, we've kind of come out of that trend, out of that period where it was all spread. But I, I do think there's a lot of those teams who, I guess they get into that mindset of a certain personnel and that we are a spread team or we're an 11 team, we don't have a fullback, et cetera. How do you look and, and get creative with that and start to account for how are we going to create these things, these extra gaps? How are we going to get some bigger people in the game? How have you approached that in the past? Well, you know what? When we when we started way back at Wisconsin, I, I can't tell you that we had better personnel or we had bigger personnel. I mean, it evolved into that. But at, at the beginning, we didn't. I mean, we kept wide receivers in the game and sent them across the formation to block the backside or uh, bring him across the formation to block where we thought the dangerous player was. Bring a bring a wide receiver in, play tight end, don't run at him, and then come up with a play action pass off of that or something. But there are ways to make it happen if you feel like there's an advantage. As the field gets tighter, you always hear it. The defense kind of likes it. There, there's no room for anybody to run. It gets constricted mm-hmm. when you're going to throw the ball. And and I always look at it as if you have a yard to go, six inches to go or whatever, why are you taking the ball off of the line to a depth to try to attack the defense? You know, I mean, there's a sneak, a fullback belly. I, I mean, it's just there's so many things that you can do. But, again, it goes back to you have to be creative and be able to invest time in, in that if you're going to believe in it, if you believe there's going to be a reason to have that, to win, to score, to make first downs. So you just have to look at it in that, in that perspective. Coach, I think you bring up a great point right there. Probably learned this as much, uh, you know, my time in the NFL, was that it gets to be a personnel thing. But I think it's relevant in high school and college, too, that you just said something about bring a receiver across and block. And, and, and we know that bring a receiver across and really it's get in the way, which that's all you, you may need on the backside of a goal line play. You're not trying to get one yeah. yard. You're not, the you're other not thing, using him as a lead. He's not going to go in on a linebacker between the guards or anything on an ISO. I mean, we're not asking him to do much more than that, like you're talking about. Play basketball, bump a guy, you know, box him out, do whatever you got to do. And, and the fact that you've got him in the game, though, may still bring a personnel grouping to where 
they haven't done their homework, then you may end up with a corner in the game instead of a safety. Sure, and the there's, other there's thing going to be that, a coverage guy. That's right, and and that might be different if you put an extra tight end in there and and, and that type of thing. So that because we we all know that on goal line there will be a free hitter somewhere. I think the the things that that if you do your homework with it, it's it's where is that free hitter and and how do you maybe that free hitter is somebody that's coming across in motion with that receiver or whoever. And then the other things, and, and I believe it's relevant once again in high school too, is to 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 look at your personnel. Sometimes if you need one yard on the goal line, you can eliminate the number situation by running behind your left guard and center or whatever, because at the point of attack, you're going to win and all of the fringe stuff doesn't matter. That's it's true. You know, you're not looking for, if you use a wide receiver to block the edge, you're not looking to run the ball out wide. You're still looking to attack the defense up and down. You're asking them to do that. You know, there's a couple couple things that come into it as you're talking there if you're if you're saying we can still win with our center and guard then you should be able to win out of any formation and you have to sell that that's what i'm talking about and why i keep saying sell it is if you look at it right now the guys that are moving up in the coaching ranks what do they do they're all almost everybody's a spread guy now mm-hmm. you don't have there's not very many old line coaches that are coordinators in an offense where they're playing with two tight ends and it trickles down. Those guys leave college. Then they go out and coach the guys that played in those systems. What They coach what they know. So right. that that's philosophically you have to be able to sit down and say, do we have an advantage if we go to this? And it takes time and it takes thought. It takes preparation and it takes an investment. So I, I don't know where you go, but the one thing that you do know is if you've got kids that can block at any level, that they can block down the middle, you can win down the middle. You need to use them. Coach, do you, when, when you say that, that you can win out of any formation, and I want to make sure because I've learned things on every podcast that we've had here too since we've been doing this fall, but if you're, if you're good enough at left guard and center and you can run the ball down the middle, do you still think you can attack down the middle without protecting your edges, or do you think you need to get somebody on the, to protect off of, it, off of your tackle? I think it depends, it depends on the depth of your back and how fast your play will hit. I think if if you you can't go beyond that, you can't have a you can't be in the pistol, running the dive, with nobody right. outside of your tackles and the ball being driven downhill and say okay we're going to win down the middle. Well, those guys might win, but you'd have nobody taking anybody coming off the edge, mm-hmm. outside leg of the tackle. I mean, you're you're putting your your kids in a in a bad situation. So, yeah, you have to match formations that are, that are advantageous for you. There has to be a reason. If you're stubborn, there has to be a reason. It's because you believe in what you're doing and you think you can do it. But you have to you have to eliminate. You can get in the eye formation, but then you have to have an edge blocker. You have to know where you're going to put the ball. But I don't think there's anything wrong with reducing the box if you can and then attacking the defense. The problem is they're just not going to take many guys out of the box when you have a yard to go. Coach, and I, I see kind of as a trend, even in the open field right now, a lot of teams going more to either a, a bare front or they would like to run a lot of four zero four four eyes, try to force you into maybe putting the ball where you, where you don't want to, which I think in in the inside zone, thinking about that from spread teams, I mean, you still want to get downhill. Whatever you might be running and whatever personnel group you're running, you want to get downhill. You really don't want to see those situations where – a running back is forced to cut back down on the goal line because essentially everybody really, when you get to this area, they're going to penetrate gaps. And that cutback usually 
isn't going to be there, that you have to get downhill. So from that perspective, whatever set you might be in, what schemes do you favor a little bit more on the goal line? I know, I guess from my perspective, I always liked our power where we could block down really against even a bare front. And then we like a zone lead play, which essentially became like an ISO. What, what's your perspective on some of the best schemes down there? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say this to you. When people reduce to a bare front, what you want to do is run off the, off the nose, the center block. Mm-hmm. You need your guard and tackle to block the three technique. You need the guard and tackle to work on the linebacker on their side, wherever the linebacker may show up. They have to be taught to do that, but you want to run off the center's block. And if you're running from even an offset back, running some sort of a dive, you need to tighten the landmark and let the center take the guy he wants to go. The back down there needs to do a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. We never, ever got very far away from the power. Somebody was going to lead. Somebody was going to follow in there, a guard. We got into a situation in Wisconsin where we started pulling the backside edge player, the guy that we had there to block the edge. We pulled him to get an extra blocker at the ball and, and drive the ball off tackle and do what you're saying. Block down, 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 kick out, pull around, lead up in the hole for as many yards as you need. You know, and it becomes a toughness thing. You have to believe that your kids can do that. You got to teach it. You, you got You really have to stress that toughness part of it, which, again, if, if your offense is centered around not having those type of people in the game and not using those type of plays, it takes a drastic change in thought when you go to do that. Coach, if, if, if you were in, a, in an offense and you're in that situation, the thing that, that comes into my mind is I'm, I'm listening to us, there's so many situations we're, we're, we're talking about goal line, but it inevitably bleeds over to short yardage, and that inevitably bleeds over a lot in college football and high school football these days to a four-minute drill, where you, you, you essentially have the game won if you, can, if you can find a way to get a first down. And sure. oftentimes you look up and you see a formation that's not very conducive to, to doing that in the last couple minutes of the game, and they end up punting. But, but if you're in that situation and you're not a power team, is there – is there a good old-fashioned – I mean, is there something that you can adjust your zone off of to, to be good in this situation? Uh, I'm talking more yeah. scheme up front, you know, tackle to tackle. I, I, think, I think what you're doing is you're going back to you're, you're going to run, wind up running a quarterback iso or something like that. You're still going to wind up with a double team somewhere. You're going to wind up with a lead blocker, and your quarterback's going to become your ball carrier. But, goodness, if he's tough enough to run that play, He's got to be tough enough to run a sneak. If, if your back is tough enough to go in and isolate on a linebacker, he's got to be tough enough to take on the extra defender if people are blocked up. So you're talking about the same types of things. Now it becomes philosophically where do you want it to fit. You know, the other thing that happens when you, when you restrict the formation offensively, there are some pretty darn good play-action passes when people are selling out to take the runaway that make life easier on you too. And I don't think that takes away from your toughness. I think it just makes people aware that we're not going to just be stupid about this. We're going to do what we have to do to score. A great point. And when I look at going from the gun, especially with the back next to the quarterback, I think you lose some of the deceptiveness that you need in the play action as compared to getting under center. I know years ago we were running the pistol, and we actually got into – on every play, reversing out in the pistol just because the the linebackers would lose the ball. They didn't see the ball exchange going in, you know, in front of the quarterback. We were dealing cards from behind. 
And I see that as an advantage in getting your quarterback out to the edge. Like you said, you're going to have guys who are really run-fitting that edge, who want to try to come right off that edge and get into the backfield to stop the maybe the off-tackle player, whatever it might be. And now your quarterback can get out on the edge either as a, a run or a throw. Do you feel you lose some of that when you're in the gun? I do. I think when I think when the quarterback is under center, I think he's the lost part of the offense. I think the minute he gets under center, they're they're thinking cram the gaps, take away the power, whatever your big play is. Quarterback pulls the ball out and everybody's pinching. He's got enough depth to get around most people, and now is he good enough to score going to the corner or good enough to make the first down two yards away or a yard away, whatever it is. But the minute you take him out from under the center, there is no possibility of a sneak. Usually you have one back in the backfield. If you're doing that, you're, you're opening the formation. So you're really you're defending, probably defending maybe a lead in there, but you're thinking more about the quarterback being a, a keep guy on the edge if he doesn't follow the fullback or follow the back downhill. So you lose some of that when you do that. Coach, when, when you're – and it may be you know, the, the style that you, you've come from and, and coach for all those years, it, it may not be any different, but you're, you've got the ball on the one-yard line. What, what was your philosophy on splits? Did you, did you talk about being any different as far as stance, pad level? Was there anything you talked differently on the one-yard line than you would out yeah. in the field? Because we were going to pull people, we never got in a four-point stance. Even if we were going to sneak the ball or we were going to run a belly, we stayed in a three-point stance. That also gave us an advantage if we were going to run a sprint-out pass or something like that. So we did not get in a four-point stance. Again, teaching it, you get in there and you talk about pad level, where you want to be, where you want to attack, how the defenders you're playing play. They're submarine guys and they're going to dive on the ground. Sometimes the best thing to do is just fall on top and let somebody go over top of you. So I think you have to talk through all those things and know what you want to do. But I think it's all part of preparation. Take, take it the other way. That, that Probably the easiest way for me to explain it is all those years that we did that, we were primarily under the center. Under Quarterback was going to be in there. Everything was going to be set up off of inside zone, outside zone, scheme play, power, whatever it was. But then you get in a situation, third down, now you want to be in the gun, and there's advantages to that third down. We all know that. So the first thing that you do is, in reverse, a guy like me, I have to spend time figuring out what runs are good from the gun. So I I guess my correlation goes the other way. If you're a gun team, what can I do if we go under center in a situation where that would be advantageous to it? So that's how I look at it. Coach, when you're down, and, and, and I, got, I have to be honest with you, I, I learned this in the NFL. I, I was When I went to Chicago in 2001 and, and we started talking about the quarterback sneak and we were actually coaching up scheme on the quarterback sneak, I thought, you, you have to be kidding me. But, but I learned quite a bit over the years that, that there is a difference how you attack the defense run the quarterback sneak based on the front. That was some of the things that came to mind, too, as, as we got into this. How, how did you teach that? And, and, and if you will, talk about your guard, center, guard, but also the quarterback, well, what you expect out of, out of that player because, I mean, we see it all the time. There's an opportunity to get an inch and, and really make an impact on the game, and, and it just it, it doesn't happen. I, th- I think the first thing we always looked for was what were we going to run against? If there was going to be a nose, how could we take an edge off with the center? Was the quarterback right-handed? Did he like to go to his right? 
that we want the helmet of the center to be to the right and, you know, start from that. So the left guard knew he had a little bit more room to cover up. We were never going to get foot to foot down there. We were never going to just turn it into a rugby scrum. We were always going to wind up where we could move our feet somehow, some way. We weren't going to cheat up on the ball very far. We weren't going to do things like that. Again, first, if there were two linemen, if they were going to play with a guy in each gap, did we feel like one was better than the other? Then we had to double hand. Did we feel like they were even? Which way did the center like to go? Which way did the quarterback want to go? If they put guys in the gap, was there a hole outside of the double team where we could just slide along, where somebody was playing a four and we thought they could cut them off? It wasn't a gap defense out of everybody. We always looked at it that way. How were we going to attack it? Where was the apex going to be? And the quarterback needed to be in tune. We didn't want to block to the right and him go to the left for any reason. And, and, you know, we looked at it week by week, and what was the advantage to us and what was it? If they put guys in every gap, which way do you want to go, center? We would double that. Everybody come off as hard as they could, as low as they could, and push it in. The other thing that we always looked for was if they were summit, like I said earlier, if they were going to jump down in there and they were just going to take your legs away from you, could he take a little hesitation step and go over the top for a foot or whatever it was for? So we were going to look at it the same way. Again, quarterback's got to know taking care of the ball. He's got to make sure it's secure. He's got to be a tough kid in the respect that he's not going to give it up just because there's a little bit of feet in front of him or a body in front of him. He's got to keep got to twist. He's got to do what he's got to do. But you got to sell it. you got to own it. You know what I mean? you got to mean we're doing this for a reason. you got to mean it when you talk to them. you got to sell it. Maybe you got to own it when you go out there. What's interesting there is that, once again, you, you're talking about th- there is technique involved, and, it's, and it differs according to what you're going to see and what you prepare for. The, the quarterback, from a standpoint, if you think that you can get a double on an A-gap player to the left or the right of the center and, and, and follow up behind that block, those blocks, the technique of the quarterback is going to be a little bit different than if you if you think that you can cut off a four four technique and, and maybe he has to slide it outside because uh, obviously he may may not give up much ground but at the same time he's obviously not going to be pushing enough in there as he slides laterally to get to that hole. Right, right. The other thing is, don't forget if he's got if he's got a good back and strong kidneys, you can always send a guy in there to hit him from behind and knock him forward too. <laughs> See that too. See it all the time. <laughs> I, I think there's a rule against that, but I don't ever see it called. So, no, no. I, I think that's it. That was great. Some great detail. Just we take some of the things we do for granted, like you said, quarterback sneak being one, and shoot, there's there's technique and and scheme to everything. One of the big tenets of coaching for a long time, you never take anything for granted. I, absolutely. So, if you if you approach every situation that way, and you're looking for an advantage. Okay, technique is your friend. It always has been for offensive linemen. Long time ago, a guy told me, if those kids can just learn to to work within that two foot, two yard box around their body, whatever it is, if they can learn what they can do and how to accomplish everything in that, ninety nine percent of the time, you're going to come out of it good. If each guy just masters that on every play that you have, you're going to come out of it pretty damn good. Coach, that was some great stuff you shared with us here today. We appreciate you taking the time, sharing some of those details with us. That was great talking football, guys. Coach Hughes, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. All right, Charlie. Good. Well, Charlie, as always, we had a coach really sharing the attention to detail. I think it's something, whether we're an experienced coach or we're just starting out in the game, 
you think you have the answers, you think you know the details, and then you come across a coach like Jim Huber and, and you say, wow, there was so much more to that than I thought. Well, and that's the one thing about Coach Huber that anyone who knows him and has worked with him or has really lined up against his guys know. You could you could hear in his personality right there that there's a, there's a no-nonsense approach. And like he brought up several times, there, there is something to be said about whatever your approach is on the goal line. He happens to believe that if, if you put the time in and if you commit it to it and you sell it, he said that more than once, to your players, then you have an opportunity to, to, to do what we talked about. Uh, but there's an attitude that comes along with that. There's a commitment to the toughness. And once again, there is a no-nonsense approach that Jim Huber had throughout his coaching career. I know, Charlie, when I've looked at that area of the field, I, I always approached it a little bit differently. I didn't start out as a spread coach, and I would I would say, you know, I never really thought of myself as a spread coach. I certainly would implement spread concepts into what we were doing, whether that was, you know, some of the zone read or uh, some of the RPO stuff. But at heart, I thought of us as uh, a power run team, whether we were in, you know, 11, 12 or 21 personnel or even in 10 personnel we do some things where like coach talked about there getting some of those quarterback isos or quarterback powers as well but for me when I looked at two areas of the field I just kind of went back to my time as a coach in in the I formation you know 21 22 23 personnel and if we were going to be in those situations either coming out of our end zone into the five I wanted to be in those sets, and then from basically the five and in, I felt more comfortable, especially the first second down, being in those sets as well. Not to say that I didn't use some spread elements. I did like empty and third down situations there if we had a ways to go, but really if we wanted to run the football, which was our main objective as we got into those areas, I did feel better about getting under center and bringing back into the game some of those elements that Coach talked about, You know, spreading out the the line of scrimmage not allowing that guy to skin off the edge and make a tackle for the loss in the backfield being able to run the quarterback sneak I think those are all sound things now I also think in looking at it you know you got to fit it with your personnel Um, you need to find some of those guys for me at the college level as I mentioned to coach the challenge was I didn't always have that guy who was a true fullback, I had to go find, you know, do some research on some of our, our, our recruits or our guys on defense. Say, hey, you know what? That guy played a little bit of fullback in high school in a wing tee. He can get in there and run a dive play for me. And, you know, so we started to recruit some guys over for those situations and we would game plan them out and, you know, get those into practice. So I think you can be creative with it personnel. And I think you can still be creative with what you do inside the spread. Coach mentioned just bringing a, a receiver back and you know creating that little bit extra of an edge there to avoid that situation where somebody's into the backfield off of a, a tackle. Essentially, the guy becomes like a wing on an extra point, right? He's just creating some width there. He doesn't have to you know devastate anybody with a block. He's just got to slow him down enough. I think back, Charlie, to going up against Mount Union, which... <laughs> It didn't matter what guys I put on the field. The guys across were just flat out better. They they had better dudes. But we looked at a situation and think back to some things Coach said. We were running behind, and we got into a, a, what we call actually 15 personnel. I'll explain that in a second. But we 
kind of smoke and mirrored it. And all we were trying to do was run behind our left guard and tackle who we felt were the the two best linemen on our team. And, you know, it really came down to just a handful of, of things we were doing. And it was successful for us. But it was, again, you know, thinking about what could we do to get to an advantage. So what we figured out was they weren't going to sub personnel. So that meant with essentially what was five tight ends in the game, we were going up against, uh, you know, four defensive backs in there. So we felt we, from a physical standpoint, started to gain an advantage. The other thing we did, Coach, was um, we put we wanted them balanced up. We knew if we could get them in a balanced set, they'd line up the same way every time. So what we did is look like a double wing, and it looked like the quarterback in in a short pistol, but he was really another one of those tight ends, and we just quick motion him to give us a balance to one side, and then we were running like a duo play over there. And we called it 15 personnel. We could, took the quarterback out of the game, had a, a wildcat guy in there, and then – two wings, two tight ends, and that guy in front of them. So 15 personnel to go in and do some of those things that Coach was talking about. We had the extra edges. We did take the ball off the line of scrimmage, but we were getting downhill and proved successful to us. But I think that's how we need to think about it in terms of what we're doing. We have to game plan this out. And like Coach said, just talking about that quarterback sneak, the detail on that that he talked about and how they were going to game plan it, I mean, having all those details and answers ahead of time for our players. And I think, again, the other point he made was using technique. Technique is, is something you have to rely on whatever scheme you're going to run. And once again, that's what, that's what Coach Hughes was known for for, for all those years. And, Keith, uh, you're exactly right. It's, it, what Coach talked about was putting the detail into it. And I flash back to, you know, there were times where if you wanted to run the sneak, um, that I've been a part of where you, you may get in an unbalanced or a heavy offensive line formation in that situation just to create the, the gap where you wanted it to be. And because they may, you know, if you knew they were going to, they had an unbalanced check to your unbalanced formation, then you may have actually just created an A gap that you could run at on a quarterback sneak. So a, a lot of different ways. And, and once again, going back to the original conversation, it's just that I think that offensive line coaches and the coordinator, there's always been a special relationship there. In my mind, the best offensive coordinators are the ones that are very, very close to their offensive line coaches. And by very close, I mean they listen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensive line coaches can be stubborn. I mean, we, we all know that. And I've been a tight end tackle coach and, and all that. And, you know, some some of them would like to run the ball every time. And, and we we get that. But – I think that in this situation right now, whether it be goal line, short yardage, or once again, the four-minute uh, thing, I mean, you, you get to that point in the game and you are really wishing that you put the detail in it that Coach Huber talked about today because that's the difference in, in walking off the field happy or sad. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I know we're going to diagram some of these things up on First Down Playbook and get them on our site at blogs.usafootball.com. They'll be in our show notes. Where can our listeners find those on your site? We will get them up on blog.firstdownplaybook.com. You spell out first down, F-I-R-S-T-D-O-W-N, blog.firstdownplaybook.com. Coach, uh, I really appreciate you bringing Coach Huber on. Another great conversation with a guy who has been there and done it and uh, appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. My pleasure, Keith, and all of you out there that are in the playoffs, congratulations, good luck this weekend. And if you're not, your season's over with, 
back to the drawing board. Hopefully you'll, you'll get something out of the podcast today and some of the future ones that will help you out next year.